for me to hit live. It's time for me to hit live. Hit live. It's time for me to hit live. You know it's live right now, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> oh, man, I loved that fast track. That was amazing. Hey, everybody. Uh, sorry for not. Realizing that the live thing had come on. <laughs> Welcome back to X's for Show, your premier media response show where we talk about comics, movies, music, and more. I'm Nico, and you can catch me at Nico Action. It's N I C O A C T I O N. And I'm T A T K. You can find me at X Nate X Gray X. And that makes me Kevo. You can find me on the socials at Kevo Really. That's K E B O R E A L L Y. And uh, we're here for a subject that is near and dear to us, are we not? You know, it's so funny. So we've been making this show for probably one trillion years, right? And I have like a, a whole big diatribe I'm going to get into, and I feel really passionately about it, and I can't wait. Uh, but, you know, we've been making this comic show for a million years, and we've been making this Marvel show for a million years, and uh, we just said it was time to kind of bring all those lines together, right? And uh, it feels really good to be back talking about comics. I love talking about comics. You know, I might even like talking about comics more than reading them sometimes. Yeah. And then there's times I like looking at them more than reading them. And there's times I like reading them more than looking at them. But like, you know, it, there's like a vibe to it. And uh, I'm just I'm excited to be back to this with two guys that I love doing this with. Yeah. Um, I said in my last tweet announcing this, that this is definitely an absence makes the heart grow fonder moment. Uh, had a very nice break from uh thinking and talking about comics so much uh because for you know as much as we regularly weekly would record and talk about comics uh we spent a ton of time behind the scenes talking about comics trying to sort of talk out what were good things to cover, what weren't good things to cover, what our feelings about things were, you know, speculating wildly so we could figure out if something was uh, significant enough to cover. Uh, that's all on top of the 400 hours of uh, MC2 coverage that Nico and I did <laughs> in the last couple years. Uh, so, like... Eating, sleeping, breathing comics all day long, inhaling, uh, and I loved every single second of it, but like to have a month where comics did not need to matter at all. And also I got to focus on other kinds of media because I, I uh, as I've mentioned before, was a cinema and TV and new media scholar for a very long time. And uh, getting to think about those subjects in a closer to academic setting again has been really fun. And so to spend these last couple weeks drifting back to comics uh, as we prepared for this show has been really fantastic and you know part of that is because we had a really nice little break you know kevo when we launched this thing it was like saying a wing and a prayer is possibly too complimentary um some duct tape and a lot of bullshit so it feels uh. really good that that we're taking this this stroll back and um 
you know, when we launched this thing, we launched it looking at Captain Britain and Miracle Man and having a gay old time of it. And so we're still looking at Captain Britain, Miracle Man in all sorts of ways. But I feel like the comic landscape has changed so dynamically from where we started this way back before uh, COVID, before House of X, before uh, the end of the Marvel Cinematic Universe as we knew it, uh, before, you know, the rise of the Disney Plusification of Marvel, before Disney owned Hulu, back when Netflix Marvel was a thing. How do you feel looking at these comic books now with me? Man, so much has changed. That took me 30 seconds. Yeah. No, it's like that opening scene from Ant-Man 2 where uh, he's catching... Or, no, it's the first one where he's catching Scott up on everything. And it's that whole giant monologue. And, uh, yeah, no, it's... Uh, it's a lot. You know, I experienced my first crossover last summer uh, with axe uh avengers x-men eternals it was never a versus it was just everyone lumped together wasn't it and it was uh, uh definitely an acronym yeah and so i experienced uh that sort of whirlwind of a multi-line crossover and how a year later it just sort of could have never happened in a lot of ways and that just sort of is a lot of comics and uh it's it's just a giant ocean that you can get swept away in sometimes and so when you take a step back for a long period of time it's fascinating to see how much has changed how much has not changed i'm looking forward to uh listening in to a lot of what you guys have to say you know speaking of oceans as uh one raving lunatic wrote for another raving lunatic when billy corgan penned the line oceans of stars for courtney love uh the situation that uh you know the marvel comicscape found itself in was so many books and so big so fast we amassed such a big team to cover all of this and you know i love everybody that we've had as a part of this show and so many of them you're going to keep seeing on the network over the next couple of months you know always uh but like <clears throat> little bit of real talk for a minute there were 441 episodes of uh x's for podcast in some form or another from 2019 to 2023 and i reached a point where i i guess the way to put it is if marvel comics and the bigger picture of the comic industry is a forest I feel like we spent so long looking at each tree and dissecting each root and breaking down each leaf. And that's wonderful. But in my heart, as somebody who loves this medium the way I do, you know, outside of comic skate losers, sorry about it. I kind of find it hard to believe that you could come across a forest of trees and not find beauty in each tree that is comics. And I feel in some ways like we spent so long looking at each tree in this forest of comics that we kind of stopped taking a look at the overall picture, the overall line. And I found myself in a position 
where I felt obligated to read the books more than I felt excited to. And there would be special Wednesdays where like Wednesday morning, I would be laying on the couch with TK and we'd be reading on our tablets and like, oh, did you get to this page yet? Oh my God, it was so good. And like, you know, there were magic moments like that. But when Hoxpox started, it was a promise of newness. It was a promise of exceptionalism in comic storytelling. And what it's become is one of the greatest cock teases of my life because I think about what's going on with Cyclops right now as sort of the ultimate manifestation of this expression of frustration, wherein not only is his relationship with Jean Grey sort of eternally on the rocks, which outside of a whiskey sour, I don't think very much needs to spend this much time on the rocks. And... So then in X-Men 23, he's talking to Emma Frost and Emma Frost is like, you look hot, but I am so not interested in you. It's not funny. And I think she even calls him pathetic. Like, I feel like one of the things that Hoxpox, when we came in, promised me was like this great age of Krakoan X-Men wondertude. And what I've been given is all of the reasons why you can't have that, but if you keep working... You might have it someday. You can have no. a little bit as a treat once or twice a month. But I've already not had it. Right. I've already not had it. So continuing to not get it. And then everything... Mm, I don't want to say anything too severe in the first 10 minutes. But um, ultimately... Go for it. The Aaron Avengers run came to nothing. And now the McKay run has launched like a different take on the Bendis run. And ultimately, it really seems like the the, the Darsky Daredevil run is going to kind of come to less than I would have hoped. Uh, it seems like where the Aaron Punisher run has been positioned is in a place to do a weird five issues, get it weird, and then bring us back to the regular world. Get it world. So I'm really excited to talk about Marvel and comics with a lot of hope and a lot of excitement about possibility and about some of the amazing books in this unbelievable collection of titles. We've looked at all of the titles, whether through the actual books or solicits from March straight through to august so we've got like a good you know like six months or so of titles that we're excited to sink our teeth into and um i'm here to hold the industry a little bit more accountable i think because in so many ways in all of the excitement of keeping jonathan hickman's house of x and powers of tens fervor alive in the krakoan age we sort of forsook that there needs to be something next and I feel sometimes like uh, comics spent maybe 2020 to 2022 borrowing from the next 20 years of potential storytelling by not setting it up. Mm. And now we're in a position where I'm just not sure Marvel is a line for me. Marvel is books for me. I love plenty of titles, but, you know, DC wasn't a line for me for so more of an years. a la carte. Yeah. And so that's that's my big manifesto. That's that's where we're starting this whole shebang with a I'm a recovering Marvel zombie and I am ready to come back to the light of the daywalkers, you know? 
And I love that you used Scott as an example because that really is a is is a fantastic elucidation of what we're talking about. In so far as when Hawksbox started, we had this moment where we were like, "Oh, they're all in it together. We're we're actually doing a little bit of queerness. We're doing a little bit of polyamory. Nothing is being said so explicitly, and I understand why because it's yeah. that we're not in a publishing it's utopia, hard. but yeah. um." You know, Scott said specifically, yes, I love more than one person. Uh, you know, the the room had adjoining, the suite had adjoining rooms. Um, they were, the three of the Scotchine and Logan were together in the Pride issue. Like, there was a bunch of just little things. And that's, that was all really great. And then we we the readers and the fans spent the next years doing all the work of saying this is happening when the books increasingly were not saying it and then we've crept into specifically saying it's not happening uh you know specifically saying that uh if things are great between gene and logan then things are on the rocks for Gene and Scott. And that is now getting us to this place of possibly divorce, which I frankly don't mind uh, them, you know, them divorcing is whatever, if that's what it, what ends up happening. Um, but that example, there are so many things where that is the thing that happened. We were told this is what could happen. These are the possibilities. Look for this in the upcoming months, in the upcoming years. And we just, never got to it and then it's, we started getting away from it it's not about the plot point of them getting divorced it's just what it says about everything else yeah exactly and like the fact yeah. that this moment where you know even a little over a year ago he's still kind of having interactions with emma that are uh, romantic flirtatious now what is being said is like well, nobody likes you, which I get, but it's also just like we never got to have the moment that we were promised. So having the opposite moment feels especially weird now uh, because there it, it's really coming from nothing. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> I'm excited to get into all of it. Kevo, did you have any thoughts before you boop on over to your cuteness corner? No, I'm excited. I know we got some uh, interesting titles coming up. I know you have uh, some interesting things to say about uh, certain lines of certain products. And uh, so I'm uh, I'm excited. I'm intrigued. I'm going to go pop over to my cute little corner. You and you're uh, going to go sit Kevy Corner? I'm going to go sit Kevo Corner and uh, we can get this roast to cooking. Be sure to mm -hmm. chime in with questions, Kevo. Oh, right. I forgot to change myself over. All right, let's kick things off with our first slide. Uh, and I really am so excited to talk a little bit about uh, the Spider-Verse uh, in general. Uh, so as you can see, we've sort of laid things out as best we can to make it easy to follow along. You can see the issues released. Uh, currently released issues as of today are in blue with all uh, yet to be released and subsequent issues in red. Uh, this has the month they were released and I, I kind of tried to break it down in a way that could be followed. So we see that we're still dropping about two amazing Spider-Man a month plus the annual uh, the Fallen Friend event Ugh, just rubs me the wrong way. I understand that it's very likely that they're just killing Ms. Marvel to bring her back a mutant, how she was always meant to be in the first place. So she syncs up with the shows because that's what's really cool right now. But, you know, 
could have gotten there another way. I don't know. Um, I'm glad Mary Jane and Black Cat is ending. Um, Gold Goblin kind of bummed that's ending. Not that I didn't like Mary Jane and Black Cat, but I'm going to get to it in a second. Uh, Hollow's Eve. All right. It's ending. Red Goblin. Keep going. I'm all about Alex Pacnadel. Uh, live that life, dude. Um, okay. So I got through that. Now I want to say, Teak, where do you stand on these titles? Oh, man, it's tough. This is an especially tough one for us because we have our own spider life and we have our own spider perspective. Uh, and Dan Slott's Spider-Man really touched on that. Uh, and, you know, I give Dan Slott a lot of credit from my corner because he's the first person that wasn't Tom DeFalco that moved our precious Mayday forward in the world. Even one millimeter. And man, did he make her leap into the air. Yeah, I mean, he threw her down a spiky football field uh, <laughs> in a way that, uh, you know... I'm 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 not going to complain because you can't have it both ways. If you want Mayday moved forward, then you can't be upset when somebody does it and does it in ways that maybe you think are a little weird. But uh, you know, so I give him a lot of credit for that, and so I was excited to see him return for this Spider-Man title, uh, and an interesting Spider-Verse story. But really, it's just another Spider-Verse story, uh, and that's okay but i you just gotta stop telling me they're special and then this one did a weird bait and switch where more than halfway because i think it's supposed to just be 12 issues maybe that plan has changed and it will continue well, i didn't know it was getting an annual and now it's got an annual coming in august and okay. so like so there's that but at, so at issue seven which is like if it were 12 issues that's not halfway through uh the spider-verse arc basically ends uh, very well, you well, uh, a, a solid wrap up of a Spider Verse arc changes the status quo in cool ways, uh, possibly gives us some Spider Tunities. Um, but then it's just uh, another Spider Man book. Then it's just kind of, you know, it's just Amazing Spider Man written by somebody else. So Norman's there as Gold Goblin, uh, Spider Man, Peter Parker is angsty and alone you know we've got the introduction of spider boy but i don't really he's being think petulant and whiny in his room you know yeah he's a, he's a bratty baby and i don't think that's gonna pan out in any ways i find fun um so sh sure i mean and i feel already like kind of that way about amazing spider-man it's it's great you know it's it's totally cool i just it's not giving me anything so remarkable uh, that I'm just, I'm blown away. We finally got the reveal of what happened to Mary Jane. Um, it is a, a cool reveal. Uh, we're spoiling everything guys. So go read every book ever. I mean, it literally says the first half of 2023, like in summation. So. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, Mary Jane was in an alternate universe and that's why all this stuff happened to her. Time moved faster there. It's, you know, fine. But that's that's we've seen that trope before. We're not breaking new ground there. Uh, and in the midst of dealing with this, then we um, kill Kamala Khan, one of the few teens of color, basically the only person living uh, Muslim experience that we get regular time with uh she does not have her own book right now i think the spider team 
did her justice in the spider world she's been in uh the infinity comics title she's been an amazing spider-man she got a couple issues in dark web for people that are not running her exclusively they are treating her very well i'm gonna ask a question go is that buying the right to kill her that is the answer no yes absolutely not yeah. That's where I'm at. That's where I'm like, right. no, stamped with a no. Yeah, it, it, like, it is in fact just a no from me, dog. Like it's, I I gave Nico a scale. I said if like one is the most appalling way you could have done this, and ten is the right <laughs> way to do it, it's at a four or a five. Like that's not good, but it's not it's not appalling. Like it's just not good. Um, and so we end this uh spider-man book that's actually a spider-verse book and then immediately we are on the edge of spider-verse again we seem to be always edging this spider-verse and uh hot in some contexts this one maybe we are just kind of wasting time and flapping a wet noodle around speaking of flapping a wet noodle around the other thing that happens when you drag this stuff out you know when you're like it's like a ball game and you've drank way too much at this soccer game with your. When I say ball game, I mean soccer, obviously. Yeah, of course. Um, the only ball game you want to go to. Only ball game I want to go to. Right? Because I'm that guy. So you're at like a Red Bulls game and uh, you, you've had way too much to drink and you just can't stop peeing. Right? And you're, yeah. at first you're like, this is hysterical. And then you're like, I'm bored. <laughs> I kind of feel like that happens with comic runs sometimes. Where, like, I'm in. And, man, I'm in so good. And, like, you've got me. And then you tell me that after this significant run that I was promised, this is the spider run to end spider runs. And it's a 12-issue series. This pivot really throws me. And I don't know if it's one of those things. Like, there's oftentimes plans that just don't get realized. Mm. And that's a factor of the way the comic industry works. And I really respect that. I actually would much rather... Um, a and not to like politicize it, but you know, sometimes when a person changes their stance, they're a flip flopper. Eh, I think when a comic company says, We told you this was going to be a 12 issue maxi, and now we're saying it's an ongoing because the sales are there, you're employing people in an industry, you are continuing to make people happy as long as it's not disrespectfully done. I think you should continue the title. The thing that winds up happening that leaves me a little unsettled is when I'm sold a false bill of goods when they never intended to deliver 12 issues that were really the last big Spider-Verse story. And, you know, I didn't think they really were going to end the Spider-Verse line, but just looking at this line of books, whether it's Gold Goblin, Hollow's Eve, Red Goblin, Miles Morales, Spider-Man, Strange Academy Miles Morales, which I'm here for. I am all about Black characters and Latin characters representing mysticism in the areas where their cultures are pilfered for storytelling. So I think it's super great having Miles Morales uh, Strange Academy as a title. But I feel like, what is the Spider-Verse as a line? What am I sitting down to when I pick up a Spider-Man book? I think it's supposed to be about Spider-Man, which is a feeling. It's about like a goodness. It's about a goodness that runs through these characters. It's not about a guy named Peter Parker. It's about a guy named Miles Morales, and it's about a woman named Anya Corazon, and it's about tons of amazing characters. But I mean, this and this line... is what 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 Spider Man is, and what Spider People are is something that you and I talked about at length in our MC two coverage. We studied, honestly, it's worth going if you are interested specifically in what's going on in the Spider Man comics world right now. I really do feel that some of our uh, dis later discussions are really worth listening to because you're right. It isn't about 
Peter Parker. Uh, it's about a lot more, and the Spider-Verse stories keep gesturing at developing the more. Uh, even a book like Spider-Man India uh, really gets us to where we might want to be. Well, can I, from that exact point, I want to spin please, on that. Please. But then tell me why there's Gold Goblin and Red Goblin. And then, Kevo, if you could load up that next slide, please. A boop. Then why do we also have Venom, Extreme Venomverse, Death of Venomverse, Venom, Lethal Protector 2, which is a part of this line of comics, going back and continuing classic miniseries? Why are there <laughs> four Carnage titles so mm. that there's a Carnage event and a Venom event? And when one Carnage event ends, the other Carnage event begins. And then there's Spider-Man 2099 Dark Genesis, which... Um, I just want to like be really clear. I problematically find Steve Orlando attractive, and I really root for his career because I also think he's cool. I think perhaps he has a flavor to his writing that is strong, like cinnamon, strong like um, like a like a really powerful citrus, like a sour, like. He, it's a very intense flavor that overwhelms everything else it's with, which is great because it's made his Marauders a miracle of, of storytelling at times. Also, other times kind of a mess, but it's been exciting. I just think maybe Spider-Man 2099 is a book too many. I think that is a reasonable assessment of the situation. Uh, it's not even a bad book. Uh, it's a book too many. It's uh, yeah, gorgeous dude. Um, it's that's a the, good man. <laughs> the original like Spider-Man Exodus, uh, Spider-Man twenty ninety nine Exodus. Uh, you know that was very cool. Um, I so here's the thing: is now we're in this weird place where the symbiotes kind of are not Spider-Man anymore. Uh, like that can't be part of the spider verse anymore. It really has to be its own thing. Uh, but it feels as though Marvel is a little bit scared to ever fully like disconnect and say that you can love the symbiote verse and not love what Spider-Man is doing. Like, don't worry. They're always connected. Like there's always that one title that's in both crossovers. Yeah. But they um, always want you to know that if you like symbiotes, you probably are kind of like, hardcore and you probably you know yeah you you fuck hard and you're kind of probably a maga chud <laughs> and i love symbiotes so like <laughs> i joking. so the thing is like i have really come to in the last couple of years love symbiotes Same. and <laughs> love this direction that's i mean like i love this alex pacnadel red goblin book alex pacnadel is writing this creepy freaking kid who is normie who again that's a thing for nico and i we have a normie that we love too and, and rascal so is like one of the best it's so to see this like 12 year old normie who is a like there, but for the grace of God goes the normie that we've spent 400 <laughs> hours with. Uh, and he's got the symbiote, which is like a piece of the carnage symbiote, but not, you know, we're not doing a carnage thing. We're doing like a kid going through puberty and it is not cute. It is and hellacious. His, and his symbiote is going through puberty and his symbiote is like, going through puberty too. And they're in like gross. tortured hell. 
they're like a little bit psychotic, but only in that way where you're like, well, of course I'm psychotic. I'm going through puberty, not like I'm actually like, I want to be bad. I want to do murder. It's just like the metaphors are fantastic. It's so good. It's so dark. Jan Basildua is doing this amazing art that at times is a little bit cutesy. And then there is liquid evil on a person. And then there's mod. And then there's mod liquid evil on a person. Um, it's just, it's great. It just doesn't really have anything to do with Spider-Man other than that it is the Osborns. But, like, now they're doing their own thing. They don't really need to have anything to do with Peter Parker. It's okay that they have a relationship. But if you wanted to say, like, ignore the relationship, you would be okay to. It's Marvel that's not willing to sort of take that risk and say that. Uh, so we've got the symbiotes. We've got now we've got a Venom verse, so it's like we're the symbiotes are now doing their own Spider Verse, uh, which is awesome. Like I'm, I just want to say, like I really do love this idea. Yeah, that like, you know, like I, I don't want to get weird, but like there's this sort of corruption of the idea of Spider Man that is Venom. It's why he's disgustingly hyper muscled. Yeah. Spider Man is muscular, but he's stronger than you'd ever believe because it's the spirit of him. And that's something we love about Spider-Man. But Venom is a trend-out fucking nightmare. Yes. And that's that's the point. And that's why Carnage is nowhere near as big as Venom, because he doesn't need to be. He's scrappy and crazy. And, like, if we're going to bastardize the iconography and the ideology, if you're going to drive it places, yeah, you should do symbiotes as rich as you do your spiders, because that's why that Jeff symbiote is right up there because that's a good bad boy and i'm very proud like that's awesome and then now to kind of tie it into this whole idea of like the the plans and the promises not kept in the sort of like you know lack of synergy when it seems like there maybe ought to be synergy deadpool Alyssa wong is giving us one of the coolest symbiotes uh, it is another piece of the Cletus Cassidy symbiote that uh, was hatched out of Deadpool that is now in a dog that he calls Princess. And Princess is having a very rascal-like experience. And it's just kind of its own book. But Alyssa Wong is this slammingly good writer telling this really funny but really relevant Deadpool story uh, that includes somebody that could be really important to all the symbiote stuff and yet is nowhere to be found or mentioned in the summer of symbios. And it just seemed like two offices just couldn't connect. And now we are being, we're doing the work of saying there's a connection there that is not being fostered in the publishing when it really. Sure. If you froze. So I'm going to dance for a second. Oh, you're back. Okay. (laughs) You froze for a sec, so I just wanted to dance. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I'm with you completely. It is a, a weird dance of tra- it's like almost like a, a line dance where everybody doesn't know the steps. Yeah. Um, and before we move on to X Men, which I can't wait to run to with open arms and uh, yeah. run toward the world's cutest archangel. Uh, but uh, I just, <sighs> Kevo, can you zoom in on that Carnage Reigns Omega cover? Because I just and I understand that. Everything is somebody's thing, but he he looks like Simone in the season 13 finale with the giant hair and, you know, the wings are just, it's, 
it's at a point where maybe I think Carnage and Null have reached a level where I just can't go. This is too silly for me. I guess my only I'm I'm basically there with you. My like always trying to be optimistic about it is that Miles needs his own arch nemeses that give him so much hell that he is horrified when they show up and that he is the person that has to deal with for whatever reason peter cannot save reality today it has to be miles and in that way miles is not overshadowed by peter peter is not coming in and saying hey buddy i know you could do this on your own but i'm here to help because the book needs my presence for better sales and while i don't love this carnage rain silliness it is a bit silly in a way that like again i want to go to Alyssa wong i think they could write the balance of horrifying and like we know this is a little bit silly so we have to acknowledge it and then we can find why it's scary if we address this together and i feel some writers just are not up to the task of addressing how it might be a little bit silly before they jump to the scary so that is going to be a a failing it seems like but miles getting to have some spotlight it seems like they're gonna go on a multiversal journey uh and for this kind of senseless psychopathic violence to be miles's arch nemesis uh could lead to good things in the future i think i'm sort of already sold on the idea that it's not totally going to be this but if this establishes like uh carnage is a real problem for miles then you know in in a year or two when somebody like Alyssa wong gets their hold on both of these characters they'll write the story that i i think will really kill it and that this will have laid the groundwork for that's like my I, let's hope for it. Well, from your mouth to the spider god's ears and may Shathra She shows stopped. up at the very end. She, like, just gives them a little present and leaves. Two panels. Wait, Shathra? Shathra's this wasp. Uh, yeah, I no, heard... that's why I said it, the spider god and may they stop Shathra. And I was like, wait, who gives them a present? Does Shathra give Carnage a present? Or does the no, spider god? No, little, the little girl spider god. Like, oh, great. Yeah, she just, like, two panels. She's like, hey, I thought you guys would want this. Thanks for doing everything. I gotta go home. And then she leaves. It's great. It's weird, but it's good. I don't know. It's funny. Just read it. Mayday shows up for a little bit. I don't know. Speaking of we love little presents, um, I cannot wait to bring in this next contributor. They are... uh, my little present. They are your little present, but they are grand of presents. And, uh, you know, it's really terrific because when you've been doing this show for so long and like 400 episodes over five years, that's really, you know, the numbering gets kind of funny in the middle, like, you know, like an uncanny book, but 442 or so, um, you know, you, you kind of know your contributors by now. And like, I'm really excited to talk about this, like broad swath of X books uh, with Jake, so uh, I can think of nothing finer than uh, strolling through Carolina with the Jakester. So let's, let's do it. Let's bring them on in. Hey, Jake. Hello. Hello, Hello everyone. So Hello, all. Jake, where can everybody find you on the interwebs should they be inclined to do such a thing? Um, on the place where people tweet, you can find me at Omega Sentinel, like OH Mega Sentinel. There it is. Uh-huh. And on the uh, place where people gram, 
you can find me at the heart farmer um, those are the places where i'm on the internet so let's do the thing that we're here to do keva would you roll us into slide number three all right I want to start with, here's my thoughts on X-Men as a line at the moment. Mm -hmm. Whenever you have a great moment of momentum, there is the inevitable reality of wake, like in the wake of it, right? And Hoxpox and the first, what I'm going to uh, romantically call 40 issues of the Krakoan era, Right, which are the first six X-Men, Marauders, Excalibur, New Mutants, X-Force, and Fallen Angels, which were the first six titles and the first six issues of them, plus four issues of X-4, which was the X-Men Fantastic Four, not written by an imaginary Asian person. The thing that occurred was a, a really beautiful moment, a really spectacular synergy of all these titles functioning together with one exception. For me, X4 did not work. There were cracks. It felt superfluous. It read like an unnecessary mini. Now I'll be honest, I thought X I thought uh, Fallen Angels even in retrospect where I liked it, it's pretty stupid. And uh, it's it's pretty clunky and it's a lot about cut yourself for pain and you know, it's not great, right? But it's got some beautiful moments that I really like. Even that had a lot more validity than X4, which felt like filler, not like story. And I think when you have 12 perfectly constructed issues, that's incredible. And, you know, E is for Extinction did it in three, and we all suffered a lot harder for it. So I'm really <laughs> grateful here. But I do feel like we've never really recaptured that that 12-issue, 12 12-week 12 momentum. And I'd love to get your guys' take on does it really all reverberate back to that moment or am i just too romantic you know when a bell tolls we hear it ring out for a while i think that the founding of kirkoa the 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 soft reboot that it offered for everyone you know the opportunity for old fans and new fans alike to really jump on in a big way and get to appreciate the X-Men and the mutant metaphor, um, you know, in new ways and for some people, you know, for the first time, it really offered a lot. Um, and it was exciting. And it was something that a lot of people could see themselves in because the X-Men, you know, the whole mutant population by, by, by virtue of who they are is a very diverse population. So in a sense, there was almost some, someone for everyone or something for everyone. Um, and it makes sense that like, you know, a few years later, some of that energy is used up and petered out. Some of that energy is still being written. Um, of course, the trajectory is changing. Of course, the like the, the the vibe is changing. But I don't think you're wrong to to look back somewhat nostalgically at the start of the era because when it started, gosh, I think I think we just needed an injection of hope. And that's what the start of the Krakoan age really felt like. As complicated as the founding of the mutant nation was, um, it still felt like a hopeful time. Um, yeah. I, for me, I let it go a little longer than you. Uh, for me, it was 
chugging along strong and magical right up to the end of Inferno. Mm -hmm. And while Inferno did not end the way that I would have liked, and Inferno went in the direction it went because of COVID and because plans had to change. And, you know, we, we know that there were different ideas for what would have happened with Moira prior to, to COVID. And, you know, that brought us to Inferno, which to me was heartbreaking in a way that, uh, I wish it hadn't gone in that direction, but since it did, that was some of the most beautiful, poignant writing and, you know, the, the, the metaphor on queer self-hatred was there. Uh, and it just, it was beautifully wrought and, it was a very steep fall in the next few weeks to Moira skinning Banshee and wearing him as a hat onto Krakoa. Very, very, very steep fall. <laughs> and after that, uh, things just went in directions that I didn't always have the same enthusiasm for. There were some fantastic writing in the mix from that point. Uh, there were some really good moments, but the synergy sort of started to fall apart from there. Uh, the, the ship broke into many little ships and went in different directions instead of all moving as one. And, uh, yeah, I think I lost a lot of the, the, the that sensation of joy uh, and heartbreak but good heartbreak uh after that that skinning alive moment <laughs> you know i hear you that it's the skinning alive moment and this is where i think i'm damaged like by comics you know there's that there's that comics broke me thing going around and um you know that 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 hashtag made me feel like a real fuck face because on the one hand um some of the comics broke me tweets you know what you can go ahead and you can go rub your gold money together and click your platinum shoes all you want because your comic problems are your first issue sold 25,000 copies your second issue sold 23,000 copies devastating but there were some stories. I mean, people losing homes, their families falling apart, just really unimaginable having to go without health care to make deadlines and just cruel, cruel world. And like, those are my, my peers. Like, and so in some ways I have some hard times with the comics industry. Right. And. Oh, wow. Yeah. For me, it was the content of that issue. I look up at this this board, right? Because Kevo is such a such a master of putting these together, and uh, you know he works with me so in depth. And this really represents to me four things that are our fandom. It's Children of the Vault, which, uh, you know, if I could be any hero in the Marvel universe, I would want to be as brilliant and hot as Lucas Bishop. I just can't imagine a finer man in this world. Oh my god, and that cover says everything you need to know about why he's like the hottest man in the Marvel Universe, and I really rarely back down from that particular stance, hmm. right? Uh, I think from that cover to Realm of X on the parallel side, 
Uh, Realm of X represents something we've always wanted. It's Torin Grunbeck in the X-Men office doing a book about Danny Moonstar and Ileana getting magical. And uh, I'm sorry, and, and who? Is it not Danny Moonstar and, and Ileana? And oh. who else? Oh, oh. Oh, it's the greatest X Man ever. It's uh it's our new queen. Everybody bow down to the real Marvel girl. It, it would be none other than Ms. Typhoid Mary. Mm, continue. Um you, know, um, you must be so happy, both of you. <laughs> I'm I am like literally Congratulations. Fan favorite. Wow. Typhoid favorite. Fan favorite. Fan favorite. Fan favorite. Mary. The yeah. first thing that happened when Valentina heard about COVID <laughs> was she went, oh no, all those poor people. And the second thing that happened was she went, but I'm going to have the most successful mask line. Like, they'll need masks. It's that moment for us. Mm-hmm. <gasps> They're going to do a magical X-Men book starring Ileana and Danny. <gasps> and they'll have Torin Grunbeck write it. <gasps> um, and it'll have Twilight Mary. Um, okay. Okay. Here, Wait, hold on. Nico, Nico's got to go through the rest of his spiel. But that's really it. I mean, like, truly, this represents everything we love about the board. But then when I look at the titles, I don't see enough of this. By by all means, thank you for uh, protecting my idea like a copyright claim. But by all means, uh, Jake, rise up. Oh, I just was like, I, I, where is Amanda Sefton? Where is our original magical ex-girl? Um, she is currently manning the phones at Rain for Tori Amos, trying to help other victims of incest cope with their abuse. Oh, I mean, my God, I I couldn't have said it better myself. No, I, I looking at what we are just wrapping. Oh my God, <laughs> looking up what we're just wrapping up uh, for minis and uh you know series that are either coming to a close or coming to milestone moments it's a really odd place and one of the things i've noticed that is most odd is uh like bishop war college has some like really really important moments in it that are like incredibly relevant to the entire x line and the entire like doings of krakoa uh in a way that like i know a lot of people are not reading that book because it's just a it's a kind of a one-off mini meanwhile x-men the main series just spent their last like five issues doing this kind of it's a really fun brood story but a mostly irrelevant one <laughs> very meandery like yeah. in a cool way because jerry duggan is so forcibly often made to carry the narrative of all x books while kieran gill like it's almost like they say to I, really i can't think of a better way to put it they go to jerry duggan and they pat him on the back and they go come on man you have to keep the species going. <sighs> Fuck until the species is safe. And they go to Kieran Gillen and they're like, you want to do some oral? Anal? You want to just masturbate everywhere? Whatever you feel like it makes you feel good, Kieran. And that is really what it sometimes feels like X-Men versus Immortal X-Men is forced to do. Yeah. So I'm just kind of, I'm in this place right now where I, I, I just don't know where to look uh and i'm like i i need to now go back and 
catalog the important things that could be insanely plot relevant that came up in Rogan Gambit, in uh, Captain Britain, Bet uh, Betsy Braddock, Captain Britain, in Bishop War College, because the setup for those books was not uh these are super relevant in the way that the mainline X books are. And sometimes the mainline X books are like, we're just going to do a brood story. Like we're just going to chill. And I love that show all you want, but we're I don't know. magic now. You know, like, probably the demon. There's something about this that really, to me, kind of rhymes with the experience of being a comic collector pre in the pre-digital age what rhymes with being a comic collector in the pre shmeeing a comic collector in the <laughs> pre-digital age yeah there you go um in the sense that you know you may not have the opportunity to get every issue that tells you all the story but as a comic collector you know you know how to go on the adventure you know you know you know where to find comic shops and go into like back issue boxes and like seek it out or the forums to go to online and now you have digital resources so those things are available and so some of it is a bit of a hunt but if you're doing like the the unlimited thing then at least like a few months later you know once the you know once once everything's out there you can go back and and catch up and i think that's kind of that's kind of the beauty of it too is that like you can read the books that you want and if you have this unlimited subscription you can go back and catch up on the things that like the critical plot points you might have missed i love that idea and Same. if i felt like there was a real plan to be like we're seeding the stuff and stuff that doesn't <laughs> matter so that later we can say i shouldn't say stuff that doesn't matter but stuff that we're nice. not from promoting as heavily uh we're seeding the stuff and stuff that we're not promoting as heavy as heavily to encourage people to care about back issues and to care about the hunt and to care about going back and so inevitably when there is some insane interaction between the struckers and mr sinister <laughs> that resets the timeline for some reason somebody is going to have to go back and read bishop war college but that's uh, i don't feel like that's what is happening i feel like um just a good writer wrote a great series and get go well that's what i i agree i don't think that it's like it's it's corporate comics saying let's do this so that we can do this i think that the nature of comics is is planting seeds like that um, and i'm and saying i wish to come back and, and seek them out i'm saying i wish that there was something between the level of corporate comics and just we're all on our own where uh the editorial office the kind of heads of marvel were making me feel a little bit more like we got a plan hmm. and we want to capitalize on some great stuff uh i and specifically like i just feel like there's not a desire to capitalize on a lot of great stuff which you know <clears throat> I'm fine with it when books run in cyclical patterns. Like, I think that's really important that, like, not every book is a 12, 14 issue a month book. Some books need the downtime. Mm -hmm. So the fact that a number of those titles disappear and are getting a little bit of downtime to be replaced with all new number ones is great. But it feels very much like those number ones kind of come out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Board? And then I'm going to point at the uh, uh, number ones. But 
Thank you so much, Kevo. You are the number one producer in the universe, pointing at number ones, right? So Alpha Flight, Dark X-Men, Children of the Vault, and Realm of X, almost every one of these feels like it's born of the past. None of these feels really like a promise of the future, but that's attractive to me because I'm pretty turned off by it's so I feel terrible because like I I never thought this was the case. I said in like 2007 maybe. You know what these aren't the new Academy X kids, this new round of kids. Fuck these kids. You know what? If they were queerer, I bet I'd love them. If more of them were Latino, I'd love them. If you had some Greek kid with crinky, you know, kinky curly Greek boy hair, I'd be all into it. Yeah, and his name would be like Aristotle. Like I'm I'm all there. And then Guys, I have that now, and I have the worst news. I <laughs> still don't care. I wish I did. Fuck. I still only care about one in ten new characters. Really? And that's good. That's good, because that means that I'm not sycophantic and stupid. Every now and then when somebody... Like, I have this clear memory of this guy that... It, we never hooked up, but man, it got really close one time in a, in a, in a restroom. But... um. I remember him looking at me going, did you get this new Tori Amos album, The Beekeeper? It <laughs> bangs. And I was like, I banged my head against the wall. Sure. <laughs> but he was like, every track is magic. And I was like, if you're on Special K, every track is magic. And he was like, it's perfect. And I was like, it's perfectly bad. And like I've softened on it one percent in the twenty years since. But was he on Special 20... K? He actually probably was pretty fucked up. It's been Let's actually be about clear. twenty years, uh, two thousand five to twenty twenty three. So it's been a while. And yet you assaulted my eardrums with the cover of Jamaica in the other day before we started recording, and I forgive you for that. But I bring this up because I don't feel that way about Tori Amos, and I do not feel that way about the X-Men. Yeah. Uh, Beast, how dare you? Don't you talk about my husband, Harry Hamlin. Um, you know, I I don't disagree with with what you're my saying. assessment of the beekeeper <laughs> i don't dis- i don't disagree with your assessment of the beekeeper i've only heard it a couple of times and uh it's I, the one uh, i keep away from you the most i'm aware i'm aware i i, I want to like it but uh, because of its name but this is not a beekeeper no okay so yeah. x-men speaking of x-men the thing that i have really been enjoying about the Krakone age that i the, and the thing that to contrast it to the era immediately preceding it the like the blue gold whatever teams the 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 many colored teams um oh wow an x-men rainbow squad the way you said it i don't know what it is jake you just made that sound cooler than it's ever sounded i mean that's what it was if that's what it was yes if it was like oh my god x-men yeah but anyway i digress nailed it um is that there is like if nothing else krakoa as a as a as an institution as a state as a setting offers a unifying story element that each of these stories reference back to in their own way and so even if you have them telling somewhat uh somewhat uh uh uh, incohesive stories like disparate uh, just thank you that's the word so even if some of the stories are somewhat disparate there's still this reference back to this like central symbol of like krakoa equals mutants which kind of equals x-men as well um where like they just didn't have that before. 
they didn't have you know it was it was mutant factions you know different teams were off doing very very different things and wow. then everyone started yes. dying you know it was it, it felt like you know it was that time when no one cared because there wasn't anything that was keeping the mutants together they just felt like a pure diaspora and everyone was kind of in their own camps like doing their own stories with this at least you've got Krakoa as as a bind as a bit of a binder for everyone um whether it's coming or going you know all stories can reference back to that and give us a sense of cohesion whether or not that's actually happening the x-men line the trapper keeper of the marvel universe <laughs> Uh, I really I like that perspective on it, and uh, you know I especially like it in uh, in concert with Nico's uh, observation Knocking that everything like over it's a little tough to care about all of these characters, and you know one of the big things I feel like is um, one of the big books that we are missing. And I felt this from Bishop War College is a school book. Yeah. The idea that they founded a nation but didn't put a school on it is sort of insane to me. And that nobody uh, writing or doing editorial is uh, queuing into that in a way that like, even if we don't have the book, which I absolutely think we need the book, but they're not even there still isn't an established school like it's still yeah. just kind of the new mutants apparently trying to cobble together the uh, activities for these children <laughs> and th there's no Krakoan academy whether or not that's in a book or just discussed uh is a, a plot line that's missing that's weird but also like that there's no place to put all those kids that it's impossible to care about right now because yeah. I don't know where to look at them. Yeah. Um, and that's Bishop War College was a great book because it gave a bunch of characters that moment. Um, but I feel like maybe we should have been doing that three years ago. And oh no, by all means, I heard I heard the gasp of thought, <gasps> and I am here. My mutant ability is encouraging the gasp of thought. <laughs> I mean, it's an imperfect solution to what you like ask because it's because you know there's so many stories that can be told in Krakoa, but X Men Unlimited really did it has like has filled some of that yes. by by giving us short form stories not tied to one book or another without having to go into all of the like branding and advertising and marketing and all the crap that goes into promoting a book. The other thing I want to say just before I just before we give into your gasp, yeah is that the in the Krakoan era, I thought initially that I needed to read every book because I care about mutants and therefore I need to read every book about mutants. Yeah. And as it's progressed, one of the things that I've appreciated is sort of akin to my previous point that like uh, all books reference back to Krakoa. I don't need to read X-Force or Wolverine to appreciate yeah. what's happening and what's changing about Krakoa. I can tap into it a little bit or read a synopsis of an issue and still get my like, yes, Krakow is in entering its fallen age and this is the reflection of that. I don't need to read it because I don't enjoy those books. And it's the first time I've really felt that way and still felt like, ah, I'm still getting everything I need from the from the the meta narrative about mutants right now. Um go I love that. Uh and I'm I'm glad you feel that way. Uh I have trouble <laughs> feeling that way. No, no, I'm I'm really serious. Like I I have trouble feeling that way. <laughs> love uh, that for you, bestie. Love that for you. Uh on your little journey. Yes, um, mom. I 
yeah, I, I have trouble internalizing that and wind up reading stuff that I don't really care to because I feel like I gotta know. Um, and I get resentful and I shouldn't, I should just not read the stuff that I don't want to read. Of course. Just walk um, away. To mm-hmm. your point about Unlimited, it then kind of goes back to my point that there's nobody steering the ship. Unlimited to me is one of the most valuable resources that it seems like nobody uh, who is in charge at Marvel cares about. Um, these amazing writers getting these stories that get no promotion, and I get that that costs money, so there's got to be a balance. But like... Uh, digital is the way digital is the way that we're going digital storytelling for the graphic medium is just necessary because it is expensive to print books and it is logistically difficult and it is inexpensive to digitally print books mm-hmm. and we're running out of trees to kill tonight <laughs> uh and i don't think the solution is figuring out ways to like genetically produce trees that sh- <laughs> instead of doing that promote the unlimited books more and publish more books digitally i don't want to hear what gross shit would come out of nature girl's mouth about artificially produced trees exactly uh and and it would come out in the pages of x-men green on unlimited and nobody would know because nobody talks about it well you know, I would be I would love to have been a fly on the wall in the planning of the X-Men Unlimited series and what some of the operating philosophy is behind it. You know, because the Kirkoan like narrative and the way it came together itself was a bit of an experiment in terms of how they how they developed the story as a collective writing team. You know, the the resources they used, the Slack channel that they had open for constant communication. Um, you know, the way they were beefing each other up and like stealing each other's characters in a friendly way and giving, giving things away and sharing that, like, it's, it's really, it was a new way of telling, of, of like taking a portion of the Marvel universe and getting it to synergize with itself. And I have to wonder how, how expansive that, like that experimental process got and whether or not this this in implementation of the unlimited comic was a part of that they were like and a branch of that is going to be this ongoing series that tells these small stories but is like it's for unlimited or it's for yeah it's for marvel unlimited subscribers so you know you if there's a buy-in element um oh but i and this is only at that it's not at you because you're one of the smartest people i know so i'm definitely not coming for you in even in even the millisecondist of ways what comic book do you get free? What comic book do you get free? What shuttle service picks you up and brings you to the comic shop and hands you your books free? Mm. What doesn't have a buy-in? That's Then that's not at you. That's at the comic industry telling us that that's a problem. I'd be happy to pay more. Honestly, I would pay more for I, Unlimited. I've said before, I would pay double for Unlimited. Double. To yes. get more, like, keep the same library, except put Generation X on it. I'll pay double. Put Generation well, X on it. And it's coming. They gotta recolor it. And, like, do you remember? Oh, please, yes. Um, And do you remember? <laughs> um, color it. Do you guys remember when uh, a couple of weeks ago, I messaged UTK and was like, look at my beautiful new Daredevil action figure. And you're like, fuck my spring. And then you were like, turns out that if you're not unlimited annual, you get different rewards. But the problem with that is if I do unlimited annual, the company gets less money Yeah, for me to get more. 
that means Marvel gets less, which means they Marvel tells their artists, less, yeah, they less. pay their artists less. Yeah. Um, and that's not fair. I want to pay these artists a zillion dollars. What I don't want to do is pay for a crossover in April of Sins of Sinister, a crossover of Before the Fall in May and June, a crossover of Hellfire Gala in July, all the new books launch in August, all the old books ended in July, and they're never going to get mentioned again. That's what I don't want. And that's yeah. the X line. That's not even talking about Summer of Symbiotes and... What I wouldn't know. kill for a fucking X-Men Patreon run by the X office. Well, and really and truly, I comics is a place where uh, you could, like... If, if Marvel sincerely reached out to their readers and said pay double but 90% of this money or let's even say 50% 50% of this money is going to creators that are working on the books the rest of it is for you know operation costs uh but marvel would be a place where you could have a smidgen of transparency marvel the opposite of the red cross precisely <laughs> um a smidgen of transparency and a bit of like hey we want to do better for this industry. And so we're going to charge you more so we can pay people to live would be like a game changing moment in capitalism that like comics fans love their medium. So that would work. It would be one of the places where if you're in it, you're probably already a fan. So you probably already want to want to do that kind of better for your community. Yes. Um, and yeah, I mean like at the end of the day, pay people more and let's, let's do this better. It's tough. I don't think you're their worth. I don't think you're wrong, but I do also like look at the the bill for the comics every week, which is like substantial. And that's every week. Like we're getting into the hundreds of dollars some weeks, depending on what's released. Yeah. This Um, week was insane. So it's it can be so the so it's not I don't think it's a simple prospect saying like just double the cost of comics because that would create a bit of a consumer. No, backlash. I'm saying double the cost of unlimited and make unlimited better. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. Can I okay. be honest? Okay. Okay. I, I have, I have an unfair advantage. Like, so I'm so privileged and let's just like, you know, I, I'm so Latino. Uh, yo, I'm, I'm basically Manny on modern family, but without any of the legitimacy of the name. And I'm, but you know, if you're Latin, you're Latin enough. And anybody who tells you otherwise, they could absolutely go fuck themselves. Right. So, but the whole thing I'm talking about here is I'm so privileged and I'm white privileged. I'm explicitly a type of privilege that exists within white spheres. And while other communities have access to it, it is one of those things that if you don't acknowledge that it's your white privilege and you say, well, I I know some black people that have had, you know, thousands of comic issues growing up. You're literally part of the problem. So I never gate kept. When my friend, a young woman, went to Princeton and said, hey, I want to write my thesis on Captain America, my dad didn't even blink. He said, give her the comics. Give her every book we have from the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Every book does not matter. This is academic. Give it to her. Hmm. I gave her long boxes of every book with Captain America stretching back to the 60s that I could because we didn't have anything 40s and 50s that was in like handleable condition. Right? Um, and I say that because I've always tried to share my privilege because I kind of can't ignore that I have it. So I, I need to do something with it, right? I need to be proactive with that privilege. And the problem that I find myself in 
is we exist in a world where I've always had all the issues. I've always had all the back issues. I have everything new when it comes out because I exist in a privileged world where I had college ready for me to go to and it was designed for me to succeed. So I've never wanted for my comics. If I had a couple of skint months, fine. I picked them up after the fact. I've bounced back every time and I'm lucky in that way. And that's not everybody. And comics have always been designed as though the American dream of the nuclear family never stopped continuing exponentially at the rate of inflation. <laughs> but the reality is comics no longer exist in the same way that they did. And funny pages need to update. I think we need to reach a point where comic shops are boutique entities that exist to service those people looking for physical books. Mm -hmm. I think physical books need to become the minority. Mm -hmm. We need to see only top tier books get physically printed. Everything should be digital and then 10 times more because when you're not printing, you can make 10 times as much stuff. And I don't want everything to be an X-Men line. You know what I really want? I love, oh God, you know, just because he's one of the, I, uh, John Romita Jr. is one of the most beautiful men to ever draw comic books. And, oh, uh, I am so, so in love with that man my entire life. And I was lucky enough to actually go to school. I'm not going to say her, her name, but I went to school with one of the Romita's nieces, actually. Um, and like, I would literally like fangirl over her in the hallway. I would start pointing at her because I would have an anxiety attack being that close to a Romita. And, uh, the whole family is so I've, I've i've been lucky enough to to know the romitas uh on some level and the whole family is that incredible um and the loss of john romita was like actually like took a minute to cry this morning the guy drew daredevil and anybody who knows anything about me knows that like my whole world is daredevil my whole life is daredevil um that we talk about x-men is funny because my whole life is daredevil and uh i i'm really sad about losing john romita and I'm so grateful for his son continuing his legacy. Um, but the fact that I have such romantic feelings about John Romita is proof positive of my privilege. And it's kind of the problem. So I think we need to reach the point where comics change and somebody needs to come in and recolor, just like Jake said, needs to recolor those old books. Not that John Romita's work isn't beautiful, but somebody needs to redraw some of those old panels that have some clunky stuff and some racial stereotypes in some cases i would pay to see this art rendered two ways and always have access to the updated version and the original and that project would make me so proud to be part of we've seen it with giant size tribute to cockrum and uh ween we've seen it with giant size tribute to simon and kirby We've seen these books. I want to see these legacies preserved by making sure that the work always looks beautiful. I'd pay for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also, I, uh, John Romita, rest in power. Truly. Um, I like that proposition. I like what you're saying. Uh, I like, you know, I, 
I, I, I, we say Patreon it. I, I do mean it. Like we want to be patrons of comics and, um, we want to be patrons of creators. Uh, I spend entirely too much money every month. (laughs) And I would so happily give that money to people like Alyssa Wong, to people like Vita Ayala, who have been, uh, some of the people to share stories that, um, you know, stop me from Patreoning 17 different theme park channels. Truly, you know, I, I really love this medium and I love the creators in this medium. The only thing that I love as much, if not more, is audio drama, which is where most of that Patreon money goes. So I'd love to, you know, change the balance a little bit and get it in comics. Uh, and I, I would love to see Marvel thinking that out of the box in some ways and how to get this done. Uh, you know, if it's not twenty dollars more or if it's not twenty dollars a month for unlimited rather than ten uh maybe it is some kind of like uh crowdfunding project but i just i would love to see if there's other ways that we can inject money into this medium and show that while the monthly expenditure on printed books is not necessarily where my heart is at my heart is in the medium and in the stories just Mm -hmm. let's figure out together how to make this palatable i think part of it too is supporting uh creator owned digital spaces as well of like course, digital yeah. spaces as well um of there course. aren't a ton of great ones out there yet but i mean this is with the f- with the fall of comiXology the market is wide open for any number of uh like comic apps but also but particularly the creator owned uh comic stuff um, yep. It would be really, really wonderful to see some of these people who are uh, becoming really, getting their names, you know, all over these comics at Marvel and DC, step away, get to work on some of their own creator-owned stuff in a collaborative environment with other with other peers, um, and see that released digitally and at a at a price point and compensation that's livable. Now, Jake, I actually have a question for you because um, you have the hair of a Highlander, so I assume you're also wise. So um, my question for you is if Marvel were to say we are going to go to a crowdfunded model. Now, I can't even imagine them doing this because this would actually be um, perhaps potentially bad business. But man, the idea of them being so brave as to do this gives me an intellectual erection like I can barely express. Listen, imagine if I'm ready. Listening real quick, just after what Brandon Sanderson made from his secret projects campaign, and honestly, what uh Millar made from Irredeemable, which was nothing to sneeze at on, on oh, a different well, level. I just Irredeemable, just to, to check in real quick, is uh Mark Wade. Wait, sorry, I, I'm Marks. I, I went, no, yeah, no, it's the same first name, yeah, Marks. I went to the wrong Mark. Um, Marks. uh money is being made crowdfunding stuff so like uh and 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 tour books who has insisted that sanderson do these kickstarters because they don't want to fund it isn't so far off from marvel that like i i can't see this happening you're right it would be unprecedented and and in a lot of ways brave but like after what the secret projects kickstarter made i think every company is trying to figure out how they can get some of that sweet crowdsourcing money so anyway to to the question for jake yeah so they present the question because it's 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 i I might have missed the point oh my god shut up 
It's oh, oh, it's Tim Burnham. Tim Burnham, the hi Tim Burnham, Daredevil fan on the end. Oh man, when you have like a, it's so funny. Like I can go through my history of conversation with Blake's Buzz, and it's mostly me being like, "Hey, so have I told you that I have an intellectual crush on Tim Burnham as a Daredevil fan?" <laughs> um, so Jake, if Marvel said X Men, we're going to go to a monthly pay option, and in January you pledge money and you pledge for up to this many titles and if you want all the x books in jan in june you have to pledge 100 bucks and if you want 8 of the 20 you pledge 50 and if you just want one you pledge 5 okay that sounds like a great deal so like you feel like so you would go in on a pay in advance model even paying a little bit more to have behind the scenes making of to have uh, yeah oh yeah you, you know oh, yeah, i love that stuff you're kind of the x-men fan that i designed for because when i think about creating a comic book world i want to create something that inspires your sort of loyalty because you're not afraid to be critical you are clearly ready to say the books aren't servicing their community and need to be held accountable. They're not hitting their price point and they need to be held accountable. But you're somebody who has forgiveness for a failure to produce at a level for an extended period. So by that extent, I would love to know your take on a crowdsourced model that resulted in digital books six months later. Uh, my take is I don't know a lot about liter literary distribution model. Oh, don't worry about it. That's you know that's like a magical hoo ha for people to do out of their magical hoo ha. Don't worry about that. It sounds like a great idea to me. I mean, like I I be, particularly because like my concern in Marvel is largely for this particular corner of it, and so the opportunity to pick and choose, the opportunity to know that like the books that I want to see will still be here in six months. Um. It's all, you know, it's, it, it feels, it gives, it, it gives me a greater sense of agency thinking about that. But to your point before about like one of the things that, you know, I think one of the things that makes loyal fans like this is a narrative that can sustain, like an overall narrative that can sustain the, the temporal criticism, you know? I mean, X-Men as a story, as a like, what year is it? So it's how it's 60, as a 60 year story is valuable um it's very valuable to me um even if it takes some really weird turns sometimes uh there's still like enough of it accrued in its value that's really good um that that makes me want to stay invested in it because i believe that it can be valuable to other people and there's a, a valuable future for it um and not in the like monetary sense in the like existential yeah. philosophical sense in the contributions um, to society i think you know, and I would love to get your take on this because, again, the two of you are both men who understand the blending of masculine and feminine in a way that I think is often historically reserved for heroes like Daredevil, wink, wink, Tim Burnham. But um, I think Wolverine represents the delicious pussification of the male hero in a way that is is brilliant that wolverine can cry about his feelings about women is literally something i can't see batman doing and i know that he has and like i can literally point to the tomasi run 
where it's happened. I can point to the Loeb run where it's happened. I can point to Batman where it's happened, but it's not part of the cultural understanding of the character where I think Logan changes all of that. And I think in a lot of ways, X-Men is responsible. That thing you're saying, that the cultural touch point exists within the fandom to always come back to, that there's a value beyond the monetary, the cultural, that I really think you're hitting on really beautifully here. Well, and I think, too, the thing you point, especially with, with the, look, raising up characters like Batman and Wolverine for comparison, you know, Wolverine's ability to cry is shaped by a decades-long arc that has been shaped by many writers who have handed off, who've tried to stay true to a character and true to an essence of this man who is growing and changing and developing. Truly. And Batman, by virtue of the way DC tells its stories and runs its universe, he regresses to the mean, like constantly, because they reset the universe constantly. So Batman doesn't really get to keep his growth ever, and Wolverine does, except when he's been mentally reset. But then, you know, we get our we get our core Wolverine back, who is growing and developing and changing. Hashtag let's see what Whenever Marvel resets, invasion. whenever Marvel resets, they always drift back to where they were. Because um, we never he, part of Marvel is we never want to lose that progress. Part of DC is we are always trying to lose that progress. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like you can't help but. You can't like unless you're committing to a real reset. You can't help but acknowledge some of the like sediment of the years. Like oh, the yeah. fact that Wolverine became leader of the Jean Grey Academy was in line with the trajectory of growth that had been happening since since he first was like around when the New Mutants showed up, and he was like, "I hate kids, and I don't want to be around them." Yeah, and you know, I mean, I think <laughs> being in the relationship with Scott and Jean oh. was the the sort of evolution of their weird dynamic over the years and the unexplored potential of the relationship with gene and uh yeah i mean i i agree with everything you're saying it's that's that's part of the marvel experience so i'm just gonna i'm, I'm I, you know number one we could go on about this forever but we do we have could. other <laughs> if you don't follow jake you are blindly wandering the internet in the dumbest way i literally follow him around the house i'm telling you it's a good time i literally drive seven hours to follow him around the house he's where all the good weed is so um it's i oh god yeah it's decadent so um i want to number one express if you're not following uh, Heart Farmer, Omega Sentinel, you are missing out on a treasure trove of internet yumminess. Truly, my uh, Instagram is a little more uh, interesting at this point because I'm I'm a little afraid of Twitter these days. Yeah, I kind of think if you're an you know if you're an anti semite and you run a website, we should take your website from you. But that's neither here nor there, except it's nice. right here right now. Would be nice. Um, you know, uh, I don't know. What has Elon Musk ever did for me? The, the the Jewish people gave me everything bagels. So I want to thank you so much, Jake, because you don't just bring a perspective I don't think of. You bring a perspective that I don't think of and you back it up with, per, you know, with points, with uh, direct pointability and accountability. And I always love having you on. And as we continue to examine the evolution of the X-Men line, I can't wait to have you on more and more to talk about these titles. 
thank you so much for having me. It's such a it's such a pleasure and a privilege getting to share this space with y'all and getting to talk about these characters that I love, and these stories that I love, and these writers that sometimes I love. Well, I hope you take this story that we have been talking about, this sort of evolution of X-Men as a living, breathing line, and you take it to your beautiful Twitter and your Instagram, where we can all keep talking about it. Thank you so much, and we can't wait to have you back on. Thanks so much, guys. Great to see you. Bye, boo. Bye. So uh, I'm going to pivot to Daredevil because yeah, uh, Tim we Burnham. Yeah, because we want to talk. Because I just want to impress Tim Burnham all the Yeah. Time. <laughs> yeah. Plus, There's only so I mean, many I feel people like on the internet I want to impress. We, we no. lovingly uh, slapped two of our favorites around a little bit. And now there's a little bit of regret with Daredevil, but I have almost universally amazing things to say. So, what are we looking at? Uh, I, I want to say it's number seven. If you just go, I'll tell you when to stop. Not He'll that that's a Stop loudly. God, that. There you that, go. Just, okay, stop. Just to rewind for a second, though, I know we're not on it, and we don't need to go back to it, but that Black what? Panther cover. The Black Panther cover is fantastic. Oh, yeah. It represents Beautiful. street art. It represents conceptual. Oh, Tim. Tim. It's like you and Ali Galactic are like celebrities around here. It's like when Bruce Willis used to walk into Planet Hollywood. So, but everything about that cover is why I make comic books. It inspires me to be a better artist. It makes yeah. me want to create, like, it, it, Oh man, I just sat looking at it for like 25 minutes. Seriously, I just kept being like, how did they take such a basic cover and reinvent it in a way that shocks me? Speaking of shocking, Frank Miller is like a fucking toddler. With what a the hell? <laughs> I am like, I am the biggest Frank Miller fan. I am so problematic. Is that how much? Oh my god, it's so bad. It's stylized. I am such a big Frank Miller fan, it's problematic. I defend this man even when he said that the 1% are right. Uh, I will never, you know, anybody who wants to defend Holy Terror, you should absolutely not be allowed to type ever again. You should just give up your keyboard, go to go to bed. But, um, God, that so and bad. Then- which one is the Jr. Jr. Because Tim wanted me to point to that uh, he really dug that one. I believe and, it is the Daredevil up in the upper left-hand corner. And okay, I really also dug this cover a lot more than his recent work. And this is something I don't want to talk bad about. You know, like my my personal <laughs> fucking hero, <laughs> the day he lost his dad. Um. J.R. J.R. was the first man to say that Daredevil is allowed to be muscular, which is, of course, because J.R. J.R. is the size of a refrigerator. And there were like three men that I was like, I want to start weightlifting. And now, like today uh, at the gym, I did a bunch of PRs and I was so proud. I was so excited. It was so stupid. Um, But uh, like J.R. J.R. being such a, a, a man of power physically inspired me and it led to some stuff that i think daredevil never maybe never recovered from and uh you know this is about to be a, a deep dive for like Colgit tim <laughs> like, you know i think about what jrjr contributed to the shape of daredevil as a fictional character and i think about what happened when scotty mcdaniel took over just a little bit later and i think about the deformity of of shape and center and i think about the nature 
of Daredevil as a character guided by Center, who was, you know, the, the master of Center was George Perez, and George Perez never properly drew Daredevil. So, like, in a lot of ways, you know, that's the guy that, like, if you want to know what the center of a character should look like, if you want to know what the midsection of a character in regard to and in relation to the shape and angle of the head that's where you go you know you go to george perez and like when you go to kirby you go to the understanding of physicality and kirby didn't spend a lot of time on daredevil and perez spent no time on daredevil to speak of so like you need to go to alternate masters and as much as i would be ready to go to a miller because i problematically fanboy miller i think i need to lean a little bit more jansen because i think jansen had a little bit more understanding of dynamic physicality of the character he also did i think a little bit more of the significant issues a little bit later on in the run and i think about jrjr and i even think about scotty mcdaniel i think about the artists that populated like the carl kiesel run and the you know fabian nicieza a little bit later daredevil is a character who didn't really find his physicality till the 80s and 90s and as such is so steeped in those so that when a guy like jrjr who i think does a really beautiful job reinterpreting his father in some ways you know john ramita senior one of the masters of daredevil one of the guys who said this is what the man looks like including his fallibility i don't think we ever really draw superheroes with chub but like jr senior would have done it you know he would have given daredevil some some boxer chub and i just i feel like ah, god losing john ramita senior is so hard for me the guy wrote my child he drew my childhood you know I, i'm so grateful to him and everything he gave you know and i agree he's the only one who can make the armor look right but does the armor need to look right you know to this day i still think that if you get the comment Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, Tim Burnham, smartest Daredevil fan on the internet, said to this day, uh, McDaniel's still the only one who can make that armor look right, the 90s armor. Um, side note, if I could write a Daredevil run, his villain would be Vapora. I'm not kidding. So, uh, anyway. Let's let's talk about Daredevil for a minute, because I could talk about this cover for 45 minutes. The coloring is so perfect. You're totally right. The depth of the black, the highlight of the red, the scope of the blue is creating contrast on the white. The white itself, this pinpoint reflection of the black, it's really... Uh, please, Colton is, like, not a human being at this point. He is actually the, like, mystical spirit that keeps Daredevil good inside. <laughs> Like, that's something that fandom has birthed, right? And that's, that's part of this whole discussion. Daredevil is somebody who, uh, in, he's like the loser of the big heroes. Like, he is the bottom A-lister, or he's the top B-lister. He stands over a Ghost Rider. Depending on who you ask, he stands over Punisher. Yeah, he's got some distance on an Iron Fist, but that's only because Iron Fist is steeped in problematicness. And if somebody with the charisma of a Simulu and the power in acting of a Daniel Day Kim had been the model for a character of an Iron Fist and the character had been in, had been able to be Asian from his inception, you would have had a character that would have survived beyond what Danny Rand could if he had been, like, you know, Daniel Rand Kun. You know what I mean? Like if he had been mixed race or something. 
So Daredevil often stands at the bottom of this very prestigious list of heroes, but I'm pressed to find a run that compares to like 10 of Daredevil's best. And the Chip Zdarsky run has been one of the most complicated things that I've dealt with because losing it is hard for me. But losing it to what feels like it's just over. It's just over. And we're going back to Hell's Kitchen. And it's just fucking New York. We're not like in Hell's Kitchen. If we were told this is Hell's Kitchen. And he's literally trapped in Hell. And he's fighting shadow versions of everyone. And Bullseye is the good guy daredevil of this. Because the shadow version of Bullseye. Marvel hire me. Uh, And the shadow version of Bullseye is a good guy. I'm there. But if this is Hell's Kitchen, if this is New York fucking city, New York City, (sighs) yeah, I, I am at a bit of a loss with this one. We're not done yet. We got two more issues. (laughs) We have more to go. We're making judgments way before the book's over. We are. We did start getting previews (laughs) um, of what's coming next uh, that we're getting a Saladin Ahmed penned Daredevil story that Saladin Ahmed uh, did some press for. uh, And I think Saladin Ahmed is a great writer. Um, and as Tim Burnham has said, Nico, we're going to have to unpack the Zdarsky Chiquetta run once it's over. Please do that. That would make me so happy. Yeah, uh, the three of us talking it. And oh my God, and bring in Tori Sheehan, smartest, smartest daredevil lady in the world. Ugh. Um, Saladin Ahmed very much has done the thing that a lot of writers do when they are, are coming onto a run where it's a bunch of press where that person has to go. Uh, yeah, you know, I love this character. I'm taking them back to their roots. And, uh, you know, it's very much Dare the Devil in Hell's Kitchen. I promise something will be different, but, you know, it's it's a it's a rough one. And I don't blame any creator for giving that exact spiel because some of it really is mandated. The company wants that to be what is said um it's tough to hear that in the wake of just having two issues of this run left because it's just tough to see a way that we could tie from 50 issues then devil's reign then 14 issues into being back in new york city just however we get back in new york city is going to be Tough. Tough. It's just going to be tough. Uh, And, you know, we're dealing with three greats in the hell sphere right now. We're dealing with Chip Zdarsky. We're dealing with Jason Aaron. We're dealing with Benjamin Percy, all of whom are writing amazing things about demons and hell and men who are compromised but won't stop, even when it would probably be better if they just would fucking stop. Um, And... Punisher ended. I don't really know where we're at. Ghost Rider is going through. Ben Percy is a train that cannot be stopped. He's Snowpiercer. When am I going to eat myself? Uh, And so uh, now I'm just kind of... (laughs) Sadarsky's... 
Uh, Zadarsky's kind of next up in trying to figure out what's going on in this post-hell world. Oh, and this is all coming off the heels of Mephisto's hell from Avengers. So, and again, this takes us to the idea that, like, so many people are dealing with hell in the Marvel Universe. Daredevil's the only one that actually is mentioning, uh, you know, this person was in Mephisto's hell. This person was in the Beast's hell. Uh, it's sort of crazy that nobody is using this time to do a synergistic idea of what's going on in Marvel's hell. I'm going to break in for a minute. Go I'm on. Gonna, I'm, I'm, gonna I'm ranting about this at this it's, point. I'm about to go off, right? Yeah. First of all, uh, I literally can't say the phrase go off without thinking the response to go off should always be come through. And I can't say come through without thinking <laughs> Violet Chachki, who is Violet. Don't call him. Call me Don't immediately. Call him. You are the hottest woman on earth. Like, girl, run. Bar none. Violet Chachki is the sexiest woman alive. Anyway. Uh, he's a good time. It's worth it. Anyway. So, I want to say, number one, if you ask me who should take Daredevil, I never, ever would have come up with uh, Ahmed and Cooter. Yeah. Yeah. If you asked me for the name of one of the top 10 writers at Marvel. I couldn't make a list without Salad and Ahmed. Yeah. It, I would have, I would have never been able to, and it wouldn't have even been hard to come up with his name. Uh, so much of his work is spectacular and he is somebody who loves character more than he loves plot. And that's what you need to do. Daredevil. Your plots can literally be the same plot every month. It doesn't matter. Daredevil. Oh God, law, a, uh, catholic sex boobs you're done you've, you've done a daredevil book you're great um and aaron cooter when they announced he got avengers forever i was so unexcited because i did not love his work and i hated every page of the preview and i read that first issue of avengers forever and regretted yeah. selling a storyteller short based on some panels because if you want to know who i think aaron cooter should be compared to when you're comparing him in the echelon that's a chris Bacalo right there that's yeah. a guy who tells story that's a guy who develops a perspective and makes you experience it and establishes a style that becomes oh, yeah. this the 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 style that you associate with characters and runs and books uh, he's nerding out on our show tim burnham we are so happy to have you here you are spamming in the best possible way this is the spam i want to break open and make into sushi this um, is hawaiian food trucks nailed it um yeah i mean it's that very you know one of the other people i said that about is bob quinn like these newer writers that when i see their work on a book i'm like that's you know Bob Quinn's Knights of X, that's how I see those characters now. The way that Bacalo's Generation X is how I see those characters always. Uh, and, you know, unfortunately, Forever is this unique thing where, like, I don't know when we're going to see those characters again. But uh, Cooter's uh, Tony Stark Ant Man, the most beautiful man, man in comic books, is <laughs> truly. truly like, if that were a real person, I would end it all and just go find him <laughs> must um, smash no offense kevin you're the greatest husband in the world but i throw it all away throw it all away for iron uh, ant-man tony stark and it's just like no matter well, it right. doesn't matter yeah, no. yeah, yeah we can all have him he we just all have jumped him. on to say that we should throw away our marriage for this guy yeah not throw away just expand 
Yeah, and just, you know, fold in the Stark. Yeah. Uh, and it, that's seriously, that they, they, they will always be who he is. That's always his his look. And so, you know, I mean, there are some amazing artists that I love and whose work I cherish, but who I don't think about that way. To be that sort of, uh, to have that ability to establish the style of a character is a unique gift. And, uh, you know, the thing about Daredevil is that Chips Darsky is managing to weave and you know i i certainly don't mean to sell to short in the least but there have been a number of artists over the years um he's trying to tell the end of a story that he didn't start so he smartly started it in the middle and is saying this is the definitive story for now and that's how you do it you don't say i'm getting rid of the phoenix forever <laughs> you say i'm getting rid of the phoenix till next crossover and that's what he's saying. He's like, I'm I'm rendering the hand inert for a minute. And I think they'll come back in Daredevil. I mean, sorry, they'll come back in Wolverine before they come back in Daredevil. Hmm. And I think it'll be a cycle. But what's a little bit harder for me than Daredevil, which, you know, we're going to do a big summation for Daredevil at the end, you know, say goodbye to it with, of course, uh, Tim, you're welcome to be part of it, Kid Dreamy. And uh, Tori, and of course, all of that is as a fan. Right, yeah. like if I find someone attractive, I'm just straight up like I want to fuck. But like if I, uh, if I, am really just so enamored of a person's fandom, if the way you express joy and love is just that impressive, you know, that's impressive to me in and of itself. Right. Uh, I'm a little bit frustrated by what feels like the fall off on a lot of titles, mm -hmm. while Ghost Rider has an unconscionable three books at a time. <laughs> unconscionable. <laughs> uh, Doctor Strange just relaunched after a massive series of events, and I didn't even realize it was still going. Uh, Strange Academy is ending and becoming a Miles Morales book, which, good. Like, you know what? Do you know what's really fucking hot? Seeing magic people hang out with... Yeah, there are seriously three Ghost Rider books. Ghost Rider, a Ghost Rider Danny Ketch book, and a Cosmic Ghost Rider book. And as soon as the Cosmic Ghost Rider book ends, it's a Ghost Rider Wolverine. Some vengeance. Yeah, exactly. It's crazy. The Danny Ketch book is weird. <laughs> um, you know, I did not enjoy the first issue at all. I just... Like, I didn't enjoy it. I, 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 not, not the best time to do a, uh, bring Howard Backy back on to tell a, uh, in continuity, irrelevant continuity story. I would have given him, uh, what, I have given him work. I mean, yeah, but if I was going to give him anything, it would have been what Danny catch has been up to as the spirit of corruption since the last time we saw that. But that would involve acknowledging anybody else's work and playing nicely. Um, right. And nothing to do with Howard Mackey not being talented. No. I am currently in a mindset of we have to stop just randomly giving old books another chance. I especially agree. when they're miniseries. Because, like, you know what? I, I, <laughs> you know, when you realize you shouldn't say something on air and you're going to say it anyway. Yeah, I love if that. Mar if Marvel's going to do anything and if we're going to do some sort of Marvel zombies, I would really like to resurrect the spirit of Mark Grunewald and get another volume of Squadron Supreme. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't hope for that because uh, you want to write it. 
Um, mm. It's really funny that Anne Nesenti is the one person everybody agrees that we can trust to write present continuity stories. I you and TK. You, TK, this is the run that you went apeshit over. Yeah. Yep. What run? It, oh, thank you, Kevo, for making us read comments because you're a smart man who loves all of our, our, our viewers. Uh, that's sort of a shame because the recent Danny Ketch run was so good, I thought. I'm blanking on the creative team at the moment, but I get interrupted by COVID. Um, it was uh, Brisson. Um, oh, Ed Brisson, right. Oh, so good. And yeah, that's where we got Catch as the spirit of corruption, which um, the whole other thing that we're dealing with in the Marvel Universe, but not dealing with is the spirits of of stuff. Uh, you know, we've got the spirit of variant of corruption. Ghost. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> Um, Dance Party Plus. <clears throat> we've got the spirit of variance. We've got the spirit of corruption. Um, we have the all writer. Like, there's just always stuff going on that I'm just like, even make an intern do it. Somebody knows that all this stuff is happening and like <laughs> pin it together with something. Just to pin it together with some little thing. Don't let there be all of these parallel things that your fans are just noticing being like, do you guys know this is happening? You publish the books. I don't publish them. I'm so glad I got to make a Daryl Palumbo reference on air. Uh, it's just not enough. Like there's not enough time in the day to make enough zebra head references. Uh, so you make the head automaticas where you can. And um, your husband gets followed by uh, the guitarist from zebra heads wife and it's the greatest day of your life also the writer or the the artist of uh the brisson run aaron cooter no no you stop that that i knew i i knew that's who it was but i didn't want to say it and embarrass myself because i already said mark millar um but yeah you just made me a whole lot gayer for you yeah so... um that was that was the run that made me. Oh a my god! I said zebra head and I meant glass jaw the whole time. I was kind of wondering, but again, I was like, I said something stupid on air. I can't correct it. <laughs> uh, you got head on the right back. though. Um. What? He said, "I love you, Mrs. Beck." Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm just I'm trying to get through 103 books in two hours. I know. And occasionally, you know, you stay like John Ramita C. Jr. Yeah. And uh, you, you say, the glass head. The jaw bra. Um, and you just get through what you get through. Um, did you realize that Demon Wars was still going? Yeah. Uh, Demon Wars is another train that seems like it's not demon wars is a train that's never going to be taken off the tracks but stops regularly because it's just always another issue <laughs> uh which is fine i just listen peach momoko has her own universe and we are all just lucky to be looking in on it and 
I this is where I'm kind of like this is where I'm pissed, right? One more time, Daryl Palumbo, you are like the greatest vocalist since Jeff Buckley. So please don't be mad at me. And the um, most beautiful man alive. And we had a really fun party one time. That uh, anyway. And the way you wear a pair of leather pants on stage is just like literally unparalleled. Uh, Starland Ballroom will live in my my memory for infamy and ever. Um, here's the thing. There's one book in five months. <sighs> And I understand that it's its own little thing and it's its own little pocket of the universe and it's Lorelai and Rory living in their own little corner of the world and there's a troubadour everywhere. But the thing that really gets me about this is that we're looking at a list of books where every one of them was the big book at one point. And it's uh, Doctor Strange, which was the big book. And then it's Strange Academy, which was the big book. And then it's Blade, which is going to be the big book for one month. And then it's Bloodline, which was the big book and is already forgotten. And then it's Tiger Division, which was such the excuse me, I'm so sorry, which was such the big book that its first issue was made available free day of Demon Wars, big book, Moon Knight, big book. It just feels like everything's kind of running toward irrelevance, and it's because Marvel really does, as you've said give up on books after the first issue and it's it's just such a bummer that i feel like this whole list is a bunch of books like daredevil had to relaunch at number one to remain relevant which is so weird to say because it went 50 it then did one of the best crossovers in the last five years all around even the bad stuff was good even the bad Uh, stuff was perfect yeah uh and then reset in that way that very much is like you know marvel has just decided that like i mean and the numbers bear it out people buy number ones people don't buy number 12s uh but is all part of the same run and so we're really dealing with uh 64 issues plus dark rain uh or uh devil's rain devil's rain right um and I don't know. It's just uh, this feels like we're going out with a little bit of a whimper and not a bang. And my only uh, consolation is maybe that Chip Zdarsky's writing has been leading us to this idea that what happens to Daredevil in these next two issues does need to be a bit of a whimper. Um, Like he has to go out as pathetic as he's been broken Right. As a result of the tumult of the peaks that he hit in the like sort of climactic third act of his five act Shakespearean fall. And all of this is talking about Matt, who is really important. And that's really key. Uh, it's been Matt's story the longest. But Electra has now become something so much more than just a background character, so much more than just good Greek hair. Electra's daredevil, and I think we're about to see a world where that's not the case. And you and I, before this announcement, were 100% certain Matt dies and Electra is left and has to be daredevil because the only thing she can do is be daredevil and, and, and take on Matt's legacy. And I could be totally wrong, and I, a big surprise of Solid Ahmed's run could be that we're doing something else but i don't think we are i don't think we are 
and that is tough to see. And then, meanwhile, I don't know what to do with Daredevil and Echo. <laughs> Daredevil and Echo, which you're putting money on, comes before the end of Daredevil. Yeah. I'm putting money on comes after the end of Daredevil. Yeah. And, um, oh, my God. So, Kirsten McDuffie, I just want to be, like, as a pansexual man, like, this is so funny because I am, like, bringing up how pan bi I am in Pride more than ever. And it's because I'm, like, proudly pansexual. Like, I, I'm not, like, proudly gay and, like, embarrassed that I think women are pretty. Nah, I'm, like, proud of it. That's awesome. And Kirsten McDuffie is, like, on that list of perfect women. It's, like, her and uh, Amy Santiago from Brooklyn Nine-Nine and uh, maybe Patti Lapone's Evita. But, like, other than that, Slim Pickens. Um, <laughs> it's okay. There's not even three perfect men, so don't worry, women. Um, <clears throat> I think the... Other problem that I'm falling into is uh, Punisher ended the way it had to end after issue one. I don't think a single page was unnecessary. I think it was all a character study. But what is a character study but something where the plot doesn't matter? Okay, so now the plot doesn't matter. Did the plot ever matter? Who did who did Punisher kill? Did Punisher kill anybody important? Did Punisher kill anybody you fucking care about? Did Punisher do anything that mattered? What did Punisher do? He hung out in a bathroom and kind of jerked off with some swords for a minute. And he learned how to shoot lasers from his eyeballs. And he learned how not to trust more women. Great. Nailed it. And what did Punisher do? But exactly what we always thought when confronted with the reality of his evils by a supernatural power that could manifest them in their greatness, he died under the pressure because he's just a sad, sad sack. He's not a man. He's the hollow of a man. He's the costume. The Punisher is the costume. And the man is just in it. And... Yeah, were they even hand ninjas? They didn't die in clouds of smoke. Tim Burnham. Tim Burnham says hand ninjas die in clouds of smoke. Where were these clouds? Hmm, 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 hmm. So here's my thing. Now, it ends with Punisher is now is some sort of like. So uh, hold on. Okay. Yeah. Before you explain it. Because it's got to go. Every, Maria. Maria, Maria fully, fully resurrected and fully Maria. of her own mind. The greatest character in the universe. Her stupid fucking husband, who is a piece of garbage, who claims to have done all of this stuff in her name, Maria. but who did nothing but make people's lives miserable, and she took all the money, which the women should always do. Oh, Maria. Oh, queen. Maria. Do you know what the best part is? Do you know what she became? She's one of the mob wives he would kill. Yeah. She literally was driven to becoming a mob wife. Yeah, she sold assets. You know, anyway. Oh, God, um, Maria. Maria, we love you. You're a queen. I can't wait to see what happens with you next. Marvel, call me. I'll write that one. Every um, day. Ms. Punisher. And the book ends. And I write Nico and I say, I, I thought that was great. And Nico goes, really? And I go, yeah, I thought that was really perfect. I thought that was kind of exactly what we needed. And then I go, oh. 
Oh, I'm like, oh but Nico, what did you think about the epilogue? Hold on. No, no, no. You didn't even get to say that. I said, hold on. I did not realize that there is a post-credit sequence. I have not finished the book. And it does feel like Aaron ha- handed in his script. And Marvel said, this is perfect. We'll get it to print. We'll get art done and get it to print. And then they went to an intern and they said, what we need you to do is write a three-page sec- three spread in which Frank is alive in Weird World. And I know that's not what happened because nobody would think to do Weird World except Jason Aaron, who invented Weird World. I just don't want to believe that the man who did this much great writing in the last few years on The Avengers and on Punisher chose to taint his own run this way. And I imagine if he did so it was because he was asked to do so and he came up with an idea that worked i want to be as generous as possible and i don't want to say bad things about this idea but it is not where that book ended and it should not it is it is a shock and what's weird is it's not even the weird world that Jason Aaron invented. This is like the Doug Monk weird world. This is like the original or Steve Gerber or. Oh, I thought it was the Aaron one. No, it's the other one, oh, which God. makes it weirder. weirder world. Well, okay. We have to, we have to barrel through, sir. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Kevo, can you jump back to the Avengers slide? Slide number five, please, sir. I feel bad. Thankfully, I think we can get through these pretty quick. <laughs> I feel terrible. I have not enjoyed uh, any of the three issues of uh, Avengers Beyond. I have not enjoyed any of Avengers War Against Time. Uh, Avengers number one was one of the biggest letdown number ones in a long time. Not because Jed McKay. Jed McKay executed the issue he gave me at an A+. At, at a 90 out of 100. Like, he destroyed Avengers number one. But I resent that book in this age. So, Jed McKay, you wrote an amazing book that I hope everybody that it's for loves as much as I thought it was a quality book. It's just unfortunately not something I'm going to spend my money on. I really respected that he took the time to acknowledge a bunch of stuff from Aaron's Avengers. Um, it and... felt like he looked at it with disdain, but I hear your phrase acknowledged. Yeah. Uh, maybe not quite disdain, but definitely not. Reverend. This was a, this was a status quo changer and a game changer. And I'm going to take that new status quo and I'm going to build the next level of the Avengers megastructure off of the enormous bedrock that was there. <laughs> Tim Burnham says you'll get through these fine. Cause he won't have anything to chime in about. Uh, I hope you do though. Um, bedrock. It just, you know, he acknowledges that all that stuff happened, but it just seems like nobody cares. And the whole point of that Avengers run was that this might be all the stuff that we need to care about for the rest of Avengers time, like literally for the rest of Avengers time, because it's what is there. It's what's it's what makes the Avengers, the Avengers. And so to have this thing start, 
and have it be Jed McKay saying the Avengers are not cops. The Avengers are not gods. The Avengers are. And there are all these things that these Avengers are not that make me laugh because it's what the Avengers are. And it's and why they're the fucking Avengers. Exactly. And so you have the Aaron run, which is all about the Avengers are all these things throughout time and space. And each character is this thing throughout time and space. It is the archetype that they represent. And when you start getting into archetypes, you are talking about gods. And when you start talking about people who are enforcing an idea of what is right or wrong, you are talking about cops and that has to be a thing and you can't just go we're not those things the book has started uh and then if you do all that and you bring kang into it uh that's not gonna change anything for me we're still gonna have to talk about how the avengers are cops uh but i'm very impressed with how ripped kang is and i'm impressed with how many cap and iron man books there are and here's what i think I think they're saying to themselves, there's no Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. or Chris Evans. Yeah. So now we get to reprogram these characters. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting time. Cap especially, uh, what do you get for the man who's done everything? I think the next few years are going to have to really bear that out for Cap. Um, and you know, the, the one moment I found very charming about the Avengers run was Carol, Sam and mm. Steve doing, Hey cap, Hey cap, Hey cap. Uh, that can be fun. We can play around with those types of things. I don't know what we're doing with Tony Stark or Iron Man. I like both fantastic, well-developed people of color replacements uh, yeah. Sam and Riri, both spectacular. Uh, it feels a little pointed, but they're both great characters. So hopefully they they stick the landing. I mean, I, I would love to really get rid. Like, I would love to Danny Rand, Tony Stark, where he like he is not Iron Man. He cannot be Iron Man. He has to stop. And Riri has to be the Iron person that she is, whether it's Iron Heart, whatever they want to call her. Uh, and Tony Stark just has to be Tony Stark, head of Stark Enterprises, and let that be its own thing with its own influence. Um, I just, like, I know that we're getting Tony Stark X-Men person. I don't know what to do with that. Seeing the Tony Stark Sentinels show up all over the place. Uh, and I know that they are a Fey Long owned thing. And part of it is that like there's some corporate war happening between them. But like, as I have repeated, it doesn't seem like Marvel can gather those elements together cohesively such that like a cross book corporate war between an ex villain and, uh, Tony Stark, I just feel like it's going to be missing some really important elements that I, will make it convincing. So that's where I am with those. I agree. Uh, the only thing that I may be happy about is they both seem like they are trajectories that Marvel is at least going to follow through with some comfortability. Yeah, I feel like the backtrack on the Black Panther to the viewing run is just like the previous run had some shipping delays it wasn't critically well received after the unbelievable coats run yeah. so turn and run quickly just, just just run quickly and then 
there's this new Incredible Hulk run where they're like, uh, the Donny Cates run really was not well received. Uh, turn and run quickly. Turn and run quickly. And it feels like with Thor, they're like, Donny Cates left what was a pretty well received run, I think, all things considered. But Torin Grunbeck, she's a lady. Get her off the book. And now we have. We have. Al Ewing doing Immortal Thor, which I all here's where I'm actually dismayed. All of the press is like Immortal, Immortal, Immortal. That's like Immortal Hulk, right? And I just want to be like, or it's like Immortal X Men, which you're supposedly still promoting yeah. from the same house. So is the word Immortal this word or like superior, like or uncanny? Or, like, the nature of any of the books where adjectives have meaning. And their reference, Superior is such a good one, because what Superior has meant is this character has gone a little bit bad. There is something a little bit up. And when you get a Superior character, they've got a superiority complex. Yep. X-Men gave us an immortal that meant something else it meant we are fucking around with death and we are fucking around with big abstract entity concepts in the marvel universe and given that we've got this new god series coming out i'm kind of like sure i believe it like show me I think that's not what this Thor book is, and that's okay, but uh, don't use the word then, because we do these words for a specific reason. That's the Marvel way. You established this. I didn't make this up. It's your it's your storylines. But if you're going to do it, do it, because now I can't trust you. Nuff said. So, you know, just a little bit more of the best of the rest and some yeah. cosmic... If you told me Fantastic Four was on issue 10, I dropped it at six. Six was really it for me. I just, ah, God, I love Ryan North even, but like yeah. this was not the run for me. This Guardians didn't grab me. Uh, Ghostlight turned out a lot better. I'm excited for five where I didn't love one. Yeah. Uh, I am devoid of interest in Ultimate Invasion as a title, but I am very fascinated in what it means. And when I see what it means, if it's real, real yummy, I'll go back and I'll grab it. Miracle Man hitting seven plus getting that Marvel Tales is delicious. Oh, God, stop giving me what ifs. No matter what, just stop giving me what ifs. But if you're going to give me what ifs, yeah, give them to me in a mini series. That's fine. That's fine. Sure. And that's uh, this that's this page for me. What about you? Uh, yeah, I you said it. So right. I love Ryan North so much. Ryan North so much. wrote one of my favorite podcasts of 2022. I want to Squirrel say Girl. Squirrel Girl. It was so good. It was so, so funny. Uh, he gave us Koi Boy, a canonically trans character <laughs> that we don't get enough of. Uh, and I just will love him forever. And I don't think he's doing bad writing on this. I think that uh, Marvel is so scared to acknowledge that the first family should look a little more like families today look. Uh, mm -hmm. And so they just keep adding people and that's zany and families are zany. Why? When, no, 
Reed and Sue need to get divorced because that's what happens in this world of ours. And maybe if they don't get divorced, they could get Polly. They could have separate bedrooms and still be happy cohabitators. Any they number of things, but it needs to get weird because that's what happens. Um, and I just I think it's really going to take a big leap to make a Fantastic Four book interesting at this point. A big leap. Uh, Guardians, kind of the same thing, but in a different way. Like, Guardians needs to, um, not be so cosmic because it's always been so cosmic. And so that's always what we're expecting. It's a victim of its success. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think it's also maybe time to say that the Guardians that are the characters in the movie all decided to go on a retirement and hiatus and hand the reins over to some new characters. You mean like the movie? well yeah uh but i mean like real really really new characters uh ultimate invasion uh i don't know man i'm I'm maybe probably not but maybe uh i'm just shocked that it's not by bendis and bagley that's all i'm gonna say yeah but hitch is in the mix so i just don't know hey so every panel is gonna look like a cover the only thing i will say is if we can bring back the most iconic and beautiful relationship in the history of Marvel Comics, Ultimate Scarlet Witch and Ultimate Pietro, I will be so excited because a love like that ne'er has been seen on the pages of comics. It's like reserved for myfamilypies.com and nowhere else. (laughs) Uh, That's all I want. I really just want them back. And uh, that's what you missed on Glee. Let's hit page nine and let's uh let's burn this baby down or eight eight first oops uh so we have some reprints facsimile editions uh some generic marvel titles uh i hate facsimile editions burn them to the ground yeah, uh unless they are repainted redrawn in some way i don't stop it this is why we have unlimited what is this fo- who is is this helping the industry is this literally helping comic shops? Are comic shops getting saddled with them or are they paying comic shops bills? If these are paying comic shops bills, make 10 more of them a month. Like do whatever you can to see Coast City Comics, probably my favorite comic shop in the United States. See uh Geekery, Zap Comics. Uh what are the other ones I love in in Maine? Uh, I love Midtown Comics. I love Things from Another World. Uh, I love that Doctor Who one in Orlando, but they closed. Oh, what's the one I love in Maine? Uh, we love Casablanca, uh, Coast City, and then Newberry Comics, which is like kind of a chain, kind of not. Also, uh, Bolmos Music, all these places. Or they're just Bolmos now. Uh, all these places in Maine that we get comics whenever we are. you guys are here and we go travel around to. Uh, yeah, I mean, if these if they're selling these books, Good. I'm shocked, but sure. Good. Uh, uh, but they make me mad, if not. If they are just... Sp- if they're just the new version of classic X-Men, you can in a world where classic X-Men is free guys, I'm not saying steal from creators. I love, but don't spend money on things that you can get other ways. Like don't, don't steal, but go to your library. Your libraries have comics, take out digital copies, go to Kindle where it's $33 for the 52 issues. Yeah. All right, next slide, please. <laughs> oh, no, this was number nine. Pride stuff. Um, do pride, I be proud, I, gay. 
Yeah, I haven't picked up that, or I haven't read the issue. I picked it up, but I haven't read it yet. Um, we do this every year. Uh, it's starting cool. to feel like an exercise in futility. Um, it's actually starting to feel like an exercise, and this is where the faggots go. And I want to be clear, as a faggot, I want to go wherever I want. Right. I don't want to be told where faggots go anymore. Right. You want to show me pride? Let faggots go in every book in yep. June. Yeah. In June. Put a, put a rainbow stamp on the cover. Every Prom- single book. Prominently feature queer characters in stories. Prominently Just feature queer writers. Pause Don't your book. put it in one book that you can give people the choice not to buy. Put it in every book and say, no, If you, we have pride. And that means that if you love these books, you love the queer characters and you love yep. the queer creators. And yep. if you... You're just going to miss the book if you refuse to buy it because there's queer people in it because there are this month. I'm not asking you to do like a dot one or a dot AU. I'm not asking for dot faggot in the month of June. But I'm saying if you really want to show in February that you care about black characters, you will do more than just have a black character pride issue. You will have. Black characters be important and significant and to do things with autonomy and agency in the month of February. And how about all year long? But since you're so keen on making sure that it hits a sales quota per month, you can stick it in February and be proud of yourselves, right? So that's, I'm just, I, I think the reason I'm so angry, the reason I am like legitimately like petulant about this, why is voices voices the thing that we were told the voices aapi voices black heritage voices lgbtq where communidades communidades like you know all of these voices stories why are you telling me that now it's spider verse yeah that's a that's a weird one you got you shouldn't have done that <laughs> x-men uh, voices mutants uh nope uh no and I get that what they're saying is like you'll find black characters, AAPI characters, yeah. queer characters yeah. in this book. But no. then just put them in the fucking book. Yeah, because I, I I'm sorry, but you cannot just lazy Susan around your your minorities like a carousel. That's like actually reprehensible and. Mm-hmm. Don't silo them in these little and like the the thing that sucks about it is like if you weren't doing that, I would love this because like I'm so happy to see uh, queer creators get stories and like Black what I creators, really love Asian creators, Jewish creators, Muslim creators. It's never Jewish creators, but give me time when I lobby for that book to come out. Wait, um, Marvel's never had a Jewish creator. I'm going to write Stan Lee. No, they've that. never had a they've never had a voices. Uh, I know, I know, I know. Uh, voices Hebes. Let me write it. Um, that would be the most attractive creative team of all. We'd time. just all be so swarthy. Uh, hashtag Marvel hire us. I'm obsessed. Kevo, you're a genius. Um, <laughs> I. Every time a kind of unknown creator of an identity that fits in a voices book gets their story, I sh- cheer and that makes me so happy. And if that's the start of a career for somebody, just pump like it's t shirt time. I pump that fist. Um, but maybe then that person just gets a story in September. <laughs> story in September. Who knows? Stranger things have happened, people. All right, so we got two bonus slides, and I think I'm going to cut one of them a little short. I'm so sorry. That's fine. We're we we've done two hours and fifteen minutes at this point, and we thought we'd do two hours even. So, um, I want to just throw up the John Romita slide for a minute. Uh, 
John Romita Sr., dude drew my childhood, and I spoke at length about what his work means to me. Um, he's a, a rare talent, uh, a real incredible gift to comics. His family is a huge part of comics. The guy drew Daredevil like nobody's business. He gave Kingpin size and form. Uh, he helped create Craven, who that is like gay daddy number one these days i can't think of like a gay bearer character than uh wears leopard print pants around a very tight bulge um you know john ramita senior and john ramita jr as legacy at marvel do so much and uh i'm just really grateful for the guy i think he uh he did a lot of important things and uh his work makes me very happy and I look forward to the recognition and outpouring of love for his work that uh, usually follows uh, the tragic passing of a brilliant mind. Oh, and if I find out that like he was super racist and like you know punched orphans or something, I take it all back. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, God, these titans that kind of set the standard for everything that we love. Uh, and he lived 93 years. What an incredible life. What an incredible yes. legacy. Uh, what a day to celebrate somebody who leaves behind something amazing. Uh, and uh, from something amazing to something that kind of bothers me. Um, as everybody knows, I am like the omnibus guy on the show. And so I've been very excited about X-Men, Uncanny, Omnibus, kind of having a, a recharted trajectory as a result of all of the crossover editions that came out for a couple of years. I have to be honest, uh, I got my copy of Uncanny number five, and I'm truly disappointed. Um, it's like 200 pages off from uh, some of the bigger ones. It contains uh, a much dirthier number of issues. Whereas number one contained everything from 94 to 131 alongside annual three and giant size number one, uh, plus still a healthy 60 to 80 pages of back matter. Uh, and then, you know, number two stretches 132 to like 154 and includes like uh, those amazing Marvel premiere issues. Uh, you know, it's it's a really you know, these first few volumes are, are really great. You can really sort of see the results of three and four being the crossover era. And it's a lot more like, oh, but we put in a couple of issues of New Mutants to make it work. And, uh, you know, one is a it's a representation of a first cover. Two is a representation of a second cover. Three and four are victims of the sort of video game kind of video games. I guess I'm Lana Del Rey. Um, video game uh, kind of graphic collage. And then for number five, we go right back to that original design. But number five actually only has, and I don't mean only in a, dis, you know, I guess I do kind of mean it in a derogatory way, but only has issues 194 to 209, which is all that's left between volume four and the start of the Mutant Massacre, which got its own omnibus. Um, and then it has Nightcrawler one through four, kind of available elsewhere. Uh, long shot one through six kind of available elsewhere so it really doesn't offer a whole lot and then comes agreement hold on oh, okay i want to thank john ramita jr for all of his time at the gym inspiring me to go to the gym so i can do this so okay here's where i'm annoyed Look at this spine disaster. 
Look at it! It's like your Frasier DVDs all over again. Yeah, my Frasier DVDs all the fuck over again. So, what I'm really talking about, but let me put them down so I don't break anything. To just get specific. My frustration is that out of nowhere, they've switched over this design for the spine to this logo-based image, which is a little bit more in line with the crossover ones. But this isn't a crossover one. This is the final regular one. But then, like no other first print, there's this tiny font. It's just, it's so incongruous from a company that works so hard to make you feel like you're collectible books. Because, like, I'll be honest, I think trades at Marvel aren't treated with the same reverence that trades at DC are. I think that uh, hardcovers at Marvel don't get the same love that a really good hardcover from Image gets. But an omnibus at Marvel is like nothing else outside of an absolute. A DC omnibus, nowhere near as nice as a Marvel omnibus. A Marvel omnibus on par with an absolute, except for that beautiful slipcover. That's a little tough. Um, the only people that do more to preserve the quality of a book with love and care is the team at the Preservation uh, Society at IDW that work on the Artist Editions, the Artifact Editions, and the Artisan Editions. Those people are fucking proper artists with a knife. Um, really, some Mrs. Lovett nonsense. Anyway, that's my two. that's my two cents. It turns out I had a lot more to talk about comics than I thought. At this point, I don't think I have a lot to add. I've sort of, <laughs> I've sort of lost my uh, compass when it comes to the omnibuses, um, and I'm just waiting for like whatever the next big thing. And right now, I'm just kind of like picking and choosing the ones that I want, and they're mostly storyline based. Uh, and I'm just waiting to see if like, are we going to get something like an absolute um especially for these enormous like x runs uh because you know knowing you and seeing how many runs that go a really long time do get a little choppy when it comes to properly putting them together i just kind of you know, I've got my Mutant Massacre. I've got my uh, Phoenix number one. I'm even iffy about my Phoenix number two. Um, I got my Cable and Deadpool. Uh, but, you know, these big X-Men ones, which, like, I would love to own hardbound editions of them. I don't want to do it if it's messy. That, that's really it. They're going to have to... Part of what you're paying for is, like, not messy, specifically... The curation. Cohesive. Yeah. All right. I'm getting us out of here, because I, I think we're going to wind up talking about more of this than we thought, and we're going we're gonna to do it again, I think. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, you guys should expect some regular comic coverages on Wednesdays. Um, yeah. I miss talking about comics. Get back to Daredevil, uh, the Billy Club. Hey, Kevo, come back down. Come play with the boys. Uh, I Okay, hello. So, uh, this Saturday is Star Trek Saturday. It's oh like... Lord. Pike Day! Uh, I'm so in. excited. Which uh, one of these? There we go. 
And then Sunday is going to be a little All Stars for Prun. This is the oh the new. I board. revamped the the coming the the other stuff board. This is our this is our regular coverage stuff. So we've got uh, Drag Race coming up, and then we're going to be covering runs. We have to wrap up our silo coverage because I know that's ending in another week or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, we. Uh, have the food trucks coming up uh and that's gonna be great a lot of that stuff is uh this weekend and then this is our general coming soon board with a lot of our stuff that we uh, are excited to cover in the next coming months and nobody gave ryan gosling an undershirt because nobody cares what ken wears so no. they know uh, what they're doing he's just ken so um Anyway, I can't wait to cover all of this, all this nonsense. But Saturday, Star Trek, Sunday, TV. Uh, oh, God, Pike is perfect in every way. Number one is perfect. Spock is perfect. Uhura is perfect. Ugh, it's so good. A bunch of people not on here are perfect. This is just, you know. And I love this the gay in the background. Yeah. Here you go. Here's more people. Ooh. So, uh... It, Con! So, um, anyway, I can't wait to talk about all of this. And uh, until we do, it is it is my pleasure to make this show with the two of you, TK, you on screen with me the whole time, and Jojo, uh, Jojo, and Kevo. Whether you're on screen with us or you are producing in the background, you are always a part of the show. And whether it's Jojo or Jake or any of our other less frequent collaborators, but those who show up on the show always, we are so grateful for all of you and all of the hard work you do. And don't forget, you can always check the show out at X's for show on all of your many socials, whether it's uh, YouTube, Twitch, Insta, Twitter, only fans. Uh, but until uh, we come back to talk more Star Trek, Kevo, where can everybody find you online? Uh, you can find me now creeping in the corner of this show on Comic Broadcast, but you can find me on the socials at Kevo Reilly. That's K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. Hey, Teak, where can the folks find you? You can find me at X-Nate-X-Gray-X. Nico, where can everybody find you? Falling out of the dang chair. That's After weird. I, like, knocked over a drink and, like, kicked stuff. Ugh, I'm a mess. He's a mess. You guys can find me on You gotta get you fed. Yeah, right. That's why I'm like, let's let's get off this broadcast. Yeah, I'm hungry. When you started using the word delicious for everything. It's when I noticed. Yeah. Hungry bear. Really hungry. Maybe you want food. I really do. Find me at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N where I'm always eating. I'm eating Send all the time. Send him food. Send me food. Uh, but also send me comics and cute boy butts and whatever. So uh, anyway. Uh, you guys can find me those places. You can check this show out. Don't forget, you can check out Star Trek Saturday. You can check out uh, All Star Sunday, uh, Comic Wednesday, and more in the coming weeks. We love making this show for you three times a week. Oh my God, I get to say it again. We love making this show for you three times a week, every week. So until next time, keep it smart, keep it strong, keep it good, and we will see you. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. I could boot you if I wanted to. But I won't, because I love you. Oh, yeah. I love you, too. 